you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. That's hooey and applesauce. Three words for that. Ooh, blah, and blah. When I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. Oh, it's gangbusters. Hi and hello, football fans. It's your old pal Dave. Dave Damashek. What's going down? I hope all's well wherever you are. Better than how it's going for me this week. After the deeds that took place in the Mile High City during the wild card round of the playoffs. Gotta break it all down. I don't want to. But it's my job to do so. So we're going to do it. All four games. We'll also look ahead to the divisional playoffs. We'll be yapping with our pal. And now, just elected to his fifth Pro Bowl. Our pal number 89, Steve Smith, is going to kibitz with us here. Welcome to episode number 45 of the Dave Damashek Football Program, available on iTunes. Subscribe, won't you? You can also track it down, all the other Huey and Applesauce, at davedamashek.nfl.com. And, of course, when you're at nfl.com, check out the work of my pal right next to me here from the Pick 6 column and many other things. It's Adam Rank. What's the poop, fella? Hey, boss. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. How about sure. Maestro? Little music, please. There you go. Make you feel better. Doesn't it make does. me feel one lick better. Well, let's get to what everybody wants to know. Yeah. Let's break it down. Sunday afternoon, 1.30 p.m. How? Let's start with the range of emotions. When that game started, when the Steelers and Broncos kicked off, what were you thinking right then? 
Well, let's go back one day earlier than that. I'm always conflicted. And by the way, if you're joining us for the first time, if you couldn't tell so far, I, I, I'm born and bred on the banks of the Three Rivers. I'm a Pittsburgh sports fan. I, uh, you know, 2012 has not been good so far. Do you know, by the way, that in the city of Pittsburgh for 2012, all the teams are combined over right now. <laughs> Pitt basketball hasn't won a game yet. The hockey team hasn't. They're decimated by injuries. The Pitt football team lost to SMU. 30 years Ooh. separated. 30 years. This is great. 30 years ago in the Cotton Bowl, Eric Dickerson and Craig James. I don't Craig know if James. Craig James played in that game, though. He might have graduated already. Who was the quarterback of the Pony Express at SMU there? Ooh, Adam man, Lance. I can't it's tell It's a great you. trivia question. That is People a great trivia can't question. Get I can't get it. No. Lance McElhaney is the correct oh, okay. answer. okay. Um, anyway, they won the Cotton Bowl 7-3. to three. Pitt couldn't score a touchdown back then in the 1982 Cotton Bowl. They couldn't do it again 30 years later. Same rubbish. And um, so so SMU has beaten them. And, of course, now the Steelers over for 2012 after the miserable loss in Denver. All the world, though, over the moon about it. Everybody's very excited about Tim Tebow. I have a hard time disparaging him after what I say. I'm interested to get the inside poop from a guy like Steve Smith, though, because if you were watching the game, of course, what seemed clear is that Dick LeBeau and company decided, and Mike Tomlin decided during the week, Tim Tebow cannot beat us. Let's, it's, it's a roll of the dice, but it's not even that big a stretch based on the way T- Tebow had been playing for the previous three games. We're going to be able to slow him down. He's not going to defeat us with his arm. We have to make sure that we don't get uh, devastated on the ground and everything should be okay. I thought it was going to be nip and tuck. You know that, Ranked. I'm not uh, backtracking now. You, I, you predicted a 10-9 game, if I I'm did. not mistaken. I did predict 10-9. to I thought the Steelers were going to have a difficult time getting their offense, too. And uh, so I was wrong all the way across the board. And the other thing I'm sure Steve Steve Smith is going to take me to task on is the fact that I referred Dyke Taylor a couple of weeks ago as a shutdown corner. Steve Smith scoffed at that. He's not going to remember that. Well. Listen, we'll see what we'll see what he remembers because I was thinking about it watching Demarius Thomas run down the sideline. I was thinking about Steve Smith saying, "Hey, Ike Taylor is not a shutdown guy, so get that out of your head." And, and uh, I guess at least for that one game, he was not for sixty minutes and eleven seconds. He was uh, not a shutdown corner. Bad day for Ike Taylor. Were you also thinking of the words of Gil Brandt, the former architect of the Dallas Cowboys, who we've had on the show before we talked to him at the Super Bowl last year. We talked to him at the Hall of Fame this year. He told us something interesting last year while we were sitting in the press box at Cowboys Stadium. He was talking about Troy Polamalu, how sometimes he's he's more harmful to the Steelers than he is good. And when you see Polamalu, especially mm-hmm. on the last play, getting sucked in by the play fake, did you think about that? I thought that was by design, that particular play, the game in, the, the uh, play in overtime. But, yes, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. And in fact, uh, yeah, last year's Super Bowl, Gil Brandt and Pat Kerwin, another sage uh, NFL insider, mm-hmm. agreed that the most overrated player in the NFL is Troy Polamalu. They said it's a poorly kept secret among uh, NFL insiders that, of course, right. his gambling looks dynamite when it works out. It's highlight real stuff. But, of course, on, uh, on uh, any given play, a lot of offensive coordinators are looking to take advantage of his over-aggressive style. And we saw that a couple of times there. James Harrison had a lousy game. You know, the rhetoric that the option would never work in the NFL. I mean, you know, growing up in watching Turner Gill and Jamel Holloway and, uh, and uh, you know, I'm trying to think of all my favorite uh, option quarterbacks of all time. But anyway, uh, as I'm thinking, I, I always would ask as a child, why doesn't somebody try the option in the NFL? 
and everybody would scoff. Oh, they're too fast and they're too smart. Then the Wildcat came along and it worked, and I felt validated by that. But now, no, now a quarterback couldn't just standardly run it. Of course, Tim Tebow does. But the idea that they're too smart and too fast sort of debunked by number 92 James Harrison in right. one game. I mean, continually sucked in on the on the option. I mean, Every a, time. A, you know, if you've watched football if you, and you're a seventh grader, you understand what your responsibility is. James Harrison did not. But all right, we'll get into that. We got to talk about all the games. And like I say, look ahead, but quickly rank a point of business. It's episode number 45 of the Dave Damashek football program. And as we do on every uh, episode, we honor that episode number with the player who wore it best in NFL, nay, sports history. 45, it sounds like it would be pretty bad, but when you look into these things, you realize there's some names out there. Who do you got there? There's uh, Pedro Martinez is a pretty good one. There are plenty of sabermetricians who will tell you that in 1999, Pedro's season is the greatest single-season effort by a starting pitcher in baseball history. And that is obviously in the juice ball era. But that's assuming that he wasn't juicing himself. That's true. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't a strapping sort of guy. So, maybe, But either way, so what? So he's keeping up with the Joneses. It's a, but I, I still think. But it would be more admirable if he wasn't and the hitters were. But then I got you. Know. But again, it's how you compare to the league. And if he was a, if he had a full uh, run over his second-place uh, competitor in terms of ERA, then that is pretty hard to argue with. Much like in 1994, Greg Maddox was uh, in the same position the year of the strike, same way that Matt Williams was on pace to to break 61 that season, and Tony Gwynn was hovering right around 400. Mm-hmm. All right, enough about that. Who else do we have, though? So uh, AC Chris, Green? Chris Fuomatu Maafala. Sure. Kenny Easley. AC Green probably ranks ahead of Fu. Yeah, I'd put AC Green. Aaron Asham. Sure. Played on every pretty much every Patrick Division team at some Gary point. Gary Fensick. Great pugilist. Gary Fensick, yeah. Um, Kenny Easley, Kenny man, Easley. I liked watching him. He was classic late 80s kind of guy. Real wiry guy, you know? Big, yeah. big hitter back there for the Seattle Absolutely. Seahawks. Absolutely. Archie Griffin for the Ooh, uh, the only man to win two Heisman trophies. All right, so that's a pretty good list. Kenny Easley. Better Pedro, than we would think. Yeah, Bob Gibson or Archie Griffin deserves consideration. Yeah, for his college deeds, absolutely. Who are we going with? I guess I'm going to go Pedro because Bob. you know I'm you know why I'm going Pedro because I saw him pitch and I never saw Bob Gibson. Oh, pitch. for crying this again! That's right. I didn't see him pitch, so that's my tiebreaker. Do I'm you going. give any consideration for a guy who played in the National League his whole career and had to bat? So, no. I mean, you're a little bit when you're an, an intimidating pitcher I like understand. Bob Gibson was, but right, you also had to go up there with the lumber. I think carries a little bit more weight with me. Yeah, it's not going to break the tie for me though. Pedro Martinez it is, number 45. All right, now let's dig into it a little bit, Rank, and um, backtrack on Saturday morning to answer your question. You know, I was nervous about the game as a Steeler fan um, for and waiting that one out was going to be a long one. I would rather have it ended quickly. Don't yes. torment me. Let me just say, make that the first Are game you of the sure? weekend. Like, I like, no, 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 I feel the other way. Like, if you go, now, I don't know if you did this when you were in school, well, it probably wasn't that big a deal for you because Indiana, when you were in college, always went to the NCAA tournament no matter what. Sure. But for Cal State Fullerton, you know, especially with the great teams we played against UNLV, that you didn't like that first game because you didn't want to lose the first game and then be bounced and then your whole tournament's over. You're like, oh, vacation's yeah. done. I'm heading back. Interesting. I always like having the 8 o'clock game of the first day of the Big West tournament, preferably after UNLV played 
at six, and then you guys would come in and play. We'd play Long Beach State or Santa Barbara or somebody. I liked having the late one because you're in it longer. Your I whole guess week, so. You still have that to look forward. I wouldn't to. have been able to watch football the rest of the weekend. That's for yeah, sure. You cannot, Had that been the result, I wouldn't fun. have been. Yeah, I would have been too sickened to look at that. You're right. That's a that's interesting. So I was kind of resenting though. To, to answer it though, I I was resenting on Saturday morning that I had such a long wait till till that game kicked off, and then the first game wasn't you know the most inspiring postseason matchup I've ever seen on paper. Two rookie QBs though made it sort of interesting as you and I expected the Texans won. And by the way, I now think that the Texans. I had an epiphany watching the first quarter of that. As soon as they threw a couple balls uh, Andre Johnson's way, I realized. If he's anything close to 100%, they absolutely can beat the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. What is wrong with, with that? You. you know, TJ Yates, and I know that it's great to have a premier QB who threw for, um, you know, 4,000 or 5,000 yards this year. But if you have a defense that can stuff the run, which the Texans do, they do have a very good secondary, and it still feels uh, weird saying that about the Houston Texans a year removed from uh, from the the years of of uh, you know miserable defense they played but Wade Phillips turned them around overnight with the addition of Jonathan Joseph and uh, and so on I think that and who do the Ravens have as a pass catcher right now Torrey Smith Anquan Bolton question mark at best with his health right now Torrey Smith the rookie would you rather have him or would you rather have Andre Johnson on the other side going against that Baltimore secondary? I Which think that, you can throw on. Yep, I think you can, and I think you can run on a little bit too. As great as Nada is, um, I, you know, Ray Lewis is finished. He's a name brand. He is not a legitimate great uh, middle linebacker anymore. And Ed Reed, same thing there. So if T.J. Yates doesn't get overwhelmed by the situation. I absolutely think on paper otherwise. I mean, the quarterback position is the is the plus that you give on the side of the Ravens. But are we that high on Joe Flacco? No. If you've listened to this show, you know I'm not high on Joe Flacco, especially going against a tough defense. Now, if Yates made some bonehead throws like he did in the third quarter against the Bengals, and that game could have swung very differently had Chris Crocker picked that ball off and run it in. Instead, they he, he drops that ball, and the next thing you see – is uh, T.J. Yates go to Andre Johnson, game over. But then again, I feel like that's a little too rough on T.J. Yates now that I say that because guess what? Drew Brees threw at least two passes, if not three, that should have been picked off by the Lions. You see every kid. I mean, Roethlisberger should have been picked off once or twice more than he than he was against. Uh, this is Even a, the great Tim Tebow should have been picked off once or twice. But don't say that. You're, listen, you see what happened when I was when I was rooting against uh, Tim Tebow? Just the, just the notion of trying to root against him. His pal upstairs is trying to take my voice away to silence me. But you can't do it. I, well, the truth must come out, and I have to say it. So, yes, I believe that the Texans not only can win. Get ready. Give me a drum roll here, Black Tide. The Houston Texans are going to defeat the Baltimore Ravens this weekend. That's right. I believe that that's going to happen. And that's not, and, and by the way, another thing for you, Ray Rice against that defense versus Arian Foster against the Ravens, I give a slight edge to Arian Foster. He's been just about unstoppable. Again, I believe that uh, that this is a game that the Texans have absolutely every chance to win. And if you, it's so funny that people are so dismissive of TJ Yates. Mark Sanchez has been in consecutive AFC Championship games, so let's not let's not say that a, a rookie quarterback is right. It's out of great the question point. that great this point. can happen, and it's very similar to what the the Jets did too. Strong defense, great running game, quarterback that you hope doesn't make a lot of mistakes. They have a little bit of an edge that if 
if Dre Johnson is just he. he even at seventy five percent, I think he's better than a lot of well, receivers. He looked terrific. Yeah, I thought he. I mean, I think he looked uh, pretty close to one hundred percent. That was the big uh, question mark about them. But obviously, if he's stretching the field out there for you, that makes it even uh, even more uh, likely that uh, Arian Foster and maybe Ben Tate get going there. How awful would it be? The Texans play host to the Broncos in the AFC Championship game. <laughs> At this point, at this point, you know, I'm. I'm, I'm Are you rooting for that now? I'm a little cynical now. Yeah, I don't don't know what what to be said. Quickly, guys, I just wanted to talk on Aaron Foster a little bit, but I think he's probably the most like under control running back in the game. Like you have guys like Shady McCoy who's so shifty, he's just moving around. You have Adrian Peterson who just looks extremely violent when he runs. But Aaron Foster just has this patience to his game where it's like you don't really see him running backs. Well, I, you, you know what, Black Tie? A guy who had the big year last year. A lot of people were, you know, in fantasy terms and beyond wondering if he could repeat that. And then he started the, the whole, if you remember how the season started with him tweeting out photographs of his, the broken bow. Or what was it? His hand. Hamstring. That's what it was. Anti-awesome. Yeah. The, the, uh, the, uh. Uh, hamstring uh, x-ray and all that jazz. But he ended up having the big – did he have the biggest rookie – I mean, the biggest uh, running back year in terms of fantasy? He was definitely up there statistically, not maybe what MJD did. But either and way – And you figure Ben Tate ben almost, was huge. almost had 1,000 a, a yards. Yeah, so amazing. Uh, yeah, and so, again, I think that uh, that they're going to be playing up in Foxborough then because – and we'll talk about the uh, Denver's chances up there, but I think we saw what Denver's chances are when the Patriots paid a visit to the High City a few weeks ago, but things are a little bit different now. But what about the game on Saturday night, New Orleans and Detroit? I thought that game had a chance to be a lot closer, and I guess it would have been a lot Wait, closer. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I think it was pretty close. Yeah, well, there were there were some bad calls on both sides. Started spiraling out of control. I'll tell you the one that made me crazy looking at it live was the Drew Brees on fourth and inches when he jumps up over the line, sticks the ball out, and then pulls it back and lands back on his feet. That's not forward progress. That is yeah. he 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 determines to pull the ball back down himself and land back down on his feet there. He did that. The defender didn't push him back, so you have to give him forward progress. The ball should have been spotted back where he landed. That's, That's right. That's a bad rule, yeah. That's I right. agree with you. That's not the I rule. That should have been that was it. That was and Are man, you sure that's not the rule? That is that by the letter of the puts, law. If he puts because if it was a goal line, look at it like it's the goal line. Like all it has to do is break the plane. Is that not the same in this case? I think when he comes back down, that is the end. Res- I think it's a different standard. I'm almost positive about that. That 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 by the letter of the law, he when he comes back down on his feet, when it was uh, when he, it was him bringing himself back down that way, he extended the ball and then pulled it back. I think that's the rule. But here's the thing. The overarching point, a lot of people have hit me with emails because I'm a bitter, whatever, Steeler fan, this and that. There were bad calls on both sides in the Detroit-New Orleans game and the Pittsburgh-Denver game. That maybe shouldn't have been a first down for Drew Brees. Maybe Drew Brees didn't fumble the ball when they said he did fumble it. Maybe if it was a fumble, then the Lions should have been allowed to pick it up and run it into the end zone. The face mask call that should have been against the Steelers. The lateral that should have been called against the Steelers. The list goes on and on and on. You go game by game. And it, it makes me ask the question I ask constantly. What could possibly go wrong, NFL, with your plan to have a geriatric man stop the game down, (laughs) run off the field, put his head under a hood, and look at the replay to decide whether or not it worked or not? But, you know, are those TVs even HD? They are HD because I asked Rich Eisen and he confirmed that, so that made me feel a little bit better. But 
Still, my point stands. Why not do what the NHL does? The NHL vends it out. They have their nerve center up there in Toronto. Same thing. It could be New York City. And you just go up there. There are three or four objective guys looking at it instantaneously almost. They could say, hey, ref on the field. That wasn't a catch. Or that was a lateral. Call it this way. The game would lose seven seconds. Instead, it's a four-minute stop down. And this guy's squinting his old man eyes at the at the too small screen trying to figure out what he's looking at. It all requires that he knows all the rules off the top of his head that way. It's 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 hooey and applesauce is what it is, right? And you go to your grandfather's house and the VCR is still flashing 12. And this is the caliber of person who is making this judgment call. And why do we have to look at every scoring play? If there is nothing more anticlimactic than that, it's like the whole Bad. running, like, hey, a guy scores. You're like, okay, well, five minutes. Let's hold our celebration for five minutes because we got to go check and make sure. Just make the call. It seems to me that the referees just almost don't care because they know they have that, well, this is going to be reviewed anyways. So I, agree. I just make a call, whatever, it'll be reviewed. Like, let's just have the game go. Like, I know, but it's but it is. Here's the uh, here's the devil's advocate to that though is the the whole slippery slope thing and the catch twenty two of of now that you've involved instant replay. You now have to confirm that because if imagine if, if somebody gets in in a critical situation and wins a game on something that turns out when you look at the replay, oh, it wasn't a touchdown at all. If they don't look at it, that would be you know. The world would be up in arms about it. Now that you have instant replay, now you have to do it. But I agree with you from a fan standpoint. Times- from a fan standpoint, it's miserable that your first reaction in a, some, when something dramatic happens, your first thought is, where are the flags? What am I like? If you're at the game, you're looking all over the field. On the TV, you're looking at the top of the screen to see if there's the little yellow thing. You're waiting. To, did the play-by-play man, is he looking at the field? Does he see if there's a yellow flag out there? You're constantly waiting to find out if it's going to count. Yes, it is not the most satisfying viewer viewer experience based on the way but what's the what's the but alternative what, but what's what, the alternative what are you gonna do you have to do it but what you know what but how many times can you not tell like the the mike renfro is it, excuse me mike renfro mel renfro mike the, renfro mike renfro that play would that play have been definitively overturned january of 1980 in three river stadium Mike Renfro catches a ball in the corner of the end zone. Unfortunately, he juggles it once he's out of bounds. No catch is the call on the field. They don't have instant replay. Ever since then, Houston Oilers fans and and haters of the Steelers have said that if they had instant replay, they would have reversed that. No, they wouldn't have because there was Wait, nothing the, definitive about that. The two that. announcers said it would have been for sure. Cause I don't care what if they you watch, If you watch – Dick although, Enberg was 94 when he was watching that game. I don't even know who the play-by-play guy was. I don't care. It wouldn't have been because there was nothing to reverse that call. Yeah, there's. I, but there's watch just it. Why? Yeah, like watch it. Watch it again. But that's part of the game. That's part of the lore of football. Like, oh yeah, you know, you know that right. play. If that play would have gone our way, but that, I just hate that every the San Antonio Holmes thing in the Super Bowl too. If it would have been called the other way, no catch. If they looked at it on TV, would you have been like, oh no, that's definitely a catch. Overturn it. Yes. I of course know. they would have. There was nothing that would – no, the no, question – No, you can't – no, there just wasn't enough evidence to overturn If the call it. was we didn't think he had his feet in bounds, you would look at the replay and say, oh, yeah, look at the close-up. Yes, his two feet were touching. No, down. that's not the his case. His toes were touching the ground. No. I'm not going to argue with you about uh, past championships. I'm here to talk but about the But I'm showing you what now. it's about. It's like so many times that the replay is so inconclusive, they don't get the right angle. They don't have the cameras pointed in the right spots to really check. Like have a camera overhead or something – with that zip line, whatever you're doing, have it overhead so you can at least try to see it, and then you got to match it up. This, 
you know what? Make just make the right call on the field. All and right, if there's going to well, be some of those instances where they got it wrong, if you look back in the history of the game, there's a few. You look at Mike Renfro. You look. There's only a few instances that led to where, that led to John Stallworth catching a ball against the Rams. That kind of then Santonio. The, the who the says last, they would have the last two minutes? The last two minutes. Roethlisberger throws it to Santonio Holmes. That's my history. Your history is rooting for Dieter Brock. Oh yes. There you have it, everyone. After many episodes away from it, I worked in a Dieter Brock reference. We haven't done it for quite some time. I, what does that make our uh, our all-time total? We see uh, Rank and I compete to see who can organically work Dieter organically. Brock. I don't know. That maybe was a little bit of a stretch. I don't know if no, you call that that's fine. No, it worked. That's fine. It worked. No, it worked. It worked. All Perfectly right, so legal. speaking of, uh, of working, a man who did a lot of great work out on the uh, NFL gridiron this season and uh, and off the field, he yapped with uh, me and Rank a few times. He's back to talk playoff action with us right now. It's our old pal, number 89, Steve Smith. Steve Smith, what's going down, man? What's going on, guys? How you doing? Well, Wonderful. You can hear my voice. I'm, I, I lost my voice a little bit. I don't know how. I don't know if it's Tebow's friend upstairs trying to keep me quiet for bad-mouthing, their, bad-mouthing his favorite uh, player. The last uh, couple of months here, but did you drink in the games this weekend? Did you sit back and uh, and watch the wild card action? Um, I did a little bit. I was actually uh, I actually had to turn turn a few of them off uh, just because of um, you know just being as as an older player and and understanding the, the how special uh, you know only a few teams get the opportunity to be in the playoffs. And so I kind of was like, oh, man, I got to turn it off, getting a little soft now, you know. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was uh, I was reminded because, you know, as we've discussed, I root for the Steelers, so I was disgusted watching Demarius Thomas run down the, uh, the sideline in the Mile High City. But I immediately thought of you scoring against the Rams in overtime. I was thinking of uh, that uh, your, your uh, playoff overtime touchdown Man, I wonder how many times that's ever happened in NFL history. Did that cross your mind when you were watching Demarius Thomas score that TD? Uh, no, not really. I was actually thinking about how I told you during the playoffs, the teams who have their secondary together <laughs> will be the teams who come out, you know, uh, barely. And, and as you saw, Detroit Lions, they have a great front front seven. Mm-hmm. But that secondary is suspect. And uh, it was shown uh, very quickly um, and very consistently, uh, you know, throughout each team and and the reasons why they won or lost. All right, you did say that, and I would like to dig into that a little bit further. But real quick, though, do you you also told us that your uh, that Tim Tebow couldn't start on your uh, son's flag football team? Do you wish to amend that remark now? I'm not really a guy who backtracks. <laughs> what did you think of that? All right, let, let's get – well, you know what? Before we start digging into the games and everything, I want to first of all say congratulations to you on making uh, yet another Pro Bowl, a gangbuster season. And uh, how do you respond? I think a lot of people, frankly, thought that, all right, Steve Smith is on the backside of his career. It's pretty much done. All of a sudden, a resurrection for you with Cam Newton in town. So muzzle tub on that, first of all. And second of all, talk about what it means at this point in your career. I mean, it's a great honor. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great honor. The fans vote, also your peers. And, um, you know, 
and your and the people that are higher up, you know, the coaches. Um, so they they voted for me. So I, I'm appreciative of that. Um, on the backside of my career, I will be on my backside up in Hawaii actually uh, for most <laughs> of that week. So I would say yes, I am on the backside of my career. Um, the very thing that uh, I think uh, really uh, young people like myself. Uh, you really don't really appreciate or understand how hard older players work until you actually uh, allow life applications to apply those things, those principles or those uh, thoughts or or, uh, opportunities. And, you know, uh, one of the things I look at, you know, a young guy and I see he's having success early, a Victor Cruz and stuff like that, and I go, man, he's, he's playing well. Uh, but I also look at myself as when I wake up, I woke up this morning, I go, man, I'm going in my 12th year. You know, um, there's a lot of people who have played 12 years and there are a lot of people who haven't got past four years. So um, I'm very fortunate, and I, I, and I uh, not relish in it kind of like, ha-ha, uh, uh, look at me, but I, I really appreciate it and get the opportunity to experience it with my teammates. Uh, the wide receivers, but also with my family um, because I get to go to Hawaii not just as a business trip because um, I can afford to take my family there, but I get opportunity um, to work there, and uh, that's pretty cool as well. And, Steve, you mentioned, you know, the fans voted on NFL.com. The the peers voted. Did you vote for them? Did you vo- excuse me, did you vote for yourself to go in? Uh, actually, I did not vote. Um I didn't vote for myself. I didn't go online to see how many votes such and such got or that. I just kind of stayed clear and just kind of was like, hey, you know, um, probably early in the year, about kind of the halfway mark, I told the receivers, hey, uh, if I go, uh, got to have my guys with me. So, the, and and that was one of the things that I wanted to give the opportunity to to hold up that end of the, the bargain. Um, of, of bringing those guys and experiencing that with my teammates. So you're bringing all – who are you bringing with you? Um, unfortunately, uh, Legadoo L.A. can't go because uh, he broke his foot. And he mm. he expressed, and I understood, nobody wants to be in a nice place like that on crutches. You know, he broke his foot. But uh, I'm bringing um, Tutu, his uh, his fiance, um, Armani Edwards, his fiance, uh, Brandon LaFell, his, his girlfriend, David Geddes, his girlfriend, Darvin Adams, his girlfriend, Kaloha uh, uh, Pilaris, him and his girlfriend, um, Ricky Pro, his family, uh, my coach Graves, he couldn't come because uh, his oldest son has uh, basketball and he can't miss. So um, that's pretty it and, and bringing some, some family and all that stuff. So to be honest, we'll probably be about 35 deep. Wait a minute. Listen, first of all, that is a an exceptionally generous deed. Kudos mm-hmm. to you. Then again, what about Rankin Damashek? Exactly. We voted for you, man. What about that? I, I appreciate – I really appreciate you guys voting for me. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, we're kind of full. Uh, you know, you just said Legadoo ain't making it. Legadoo's yeah, not two there. spots there's open right there. there. We'll share a Next room. two up. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's cool, but um, you know the accommodation has already been made. So, oh man! All right, well, listen. Congratulations. What do you think about this, though, Steve? I've always 
contended, like a lot of people. I mean, a lot of your peers don't even take the opportunity to go to the Pro Bowl because they don't want to get hurt, which I actually understand. This is, as you know, a contact sport. This isn't an exhibition like baseball or basketball where you're going to get to stay nice and clean. You actually have to run into other giant human beings and you could get hurt. Instead of playing this game, why not instead, in the week in between the title games and the Super Bowl, what if you had the two worst teams play one another and the winner of that game gets the first overall pick the next season? Who wouldn't watch that? No. We'll call it the loser bowl. No, nobody would watch that one. Yes, they would. <laughs> what do you mean they wouldn't watch that? I you mean, mean to tell would, me if the call? watch it. Yes, it would be fascinating. a terrible idea. It is not a terrible <laughs> idea. We would call, Here's what we do. I already have the sponsorship ready to go. You get Weight Watchers or somebody like that, and you call it the Weight Watchers Loser Bowl, and then you and then, and you play it out on some cruddy middle school JV field. You get some ugly cheerleaders and a lame so band. Let me, let me ask you this. What happens with the team who lose their starting quarterback, and, and that's the reason why they lost, and now they have to draft a quarterback because – uh, their quarterback gets a Joe Theismann career-ending injury. Well, at least they'd have the first pick. Yeah, listen, that's part of what happens. <laughs> then don't finish last place, and then you don't have to worry about that playing in that game. Yeah. It's an emba- it's, it's, it's encouragement, you see. You don't want to wind up in this embarrassing game, so you play extra, you play extra hard, no? Yeah, great concept. Uh, not very good, though. It's great, but not very good. Let me ask you this. Speaking of which, your division has four quarterbacks with big names, and um – I you know I think they range from very good to not uh, to, to to very good to Elite, not that great. Yeah. How do you rank those guys? Drew Brees, your guy Cam, Matt Ryan, who we last saw scoring two points, or in fact uh, not scoring, not scoring even, at all, not even scoring those two points, and Josh Freeman, big troubles down there in Tampa Bay on the defensive side of the ball and a little uh, underwhelming performance by the offense. Rank those four QBs for me. Obviously, Drew Brees number one. Mm-hmm. Ah. I would say, you know, I would just say Cam's number two. I agree uh, with that. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, Matt Ryan, Ryan, uh, Matt Ryan, number three, and Josh Freeman, number four. And the reason I say Josh Freeman is number four is I would think uh, out of Matt Ryan and Josh Freeman, Josh Freeman has digressed, I would say, uh, dramatically uh, on a lot of fundamentals very quickly hmm. um, than a guy like uh, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, the offensive line is – a little shaky at times and kind of puts them in uh, precarious situations. But um, Josh, Josh Freeman, who I think outside of Matt Ryan has has the, the most upside from his rookie year to his second year now going to his third year, uh, hasn't done very well. Um, so I think that's why he's at the bottom. And, uh, you know, Matt Ryan has, has done, you know, okay, but he's kind of had some back. He's kind of digressed a little bit after that playoff game. You can kind of see the residual lingering around. Yeah, what about, you know, as a fan, it kind of annoys me that they gave him the Matty Ice nickname when he done when he's done absolutely nothing. As a player, do you kind of laugh at that, or do you even pay attention to that at all? I mean, as a player, you, you know, that's kind of why, you know, the whole camp thing, why I kind of try to stay away from it because as fast as they build you up, you know, see, I, I put it like this. I tell, I tell a lot of people. Um, you know, it's like dealing with bills. You know, when the phone company owes you money, it's six to eight weeks on a refund check. When you don't pay your bill, they shut it off immediately. They can flip the switch from the office. You know, uh, 
So as fast as they build you up, uh, they they can tear you down even faster. You know, it may take you five years to to be an elite player, and they'll take you, you know, five games to all of a sudden, uh, you know, be run out the league. What do you think about, uh, you know, Matt Ryan, I, I'm with you that he has, I don't know if you would say digressed or if he's somebody who hasn't progressed. And I think that it's a little unfair to some QBs who don't put up big numbers like Matt Ryan has, relatively speaking. I'm not talking about, picking, I'm not talking about picking, putting up big numbers. I'm just talking no. about a guy who, how accurate and how he threw the ball, how poised he was his rookie year. And then the second year going to playoffs, he really didn't play as well. Mm-hmm. And then after after that game, you know, most of the year he didn't play as well. I, I would say his rookie year has been his most successful year. Well, that's exactly where I'm going. I think that it's unfair to compare him to guys that haven't had much success because Matt Ryan has had the benefit of playing with Roddy White, Tony Gonzalez. He's had a, a capable running game since he's been there. Who do you think I you know I'm not saying Matt Ryan is in the bottom 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. Another guy though who has had a lot of weapons around him is Mark Sanchez. I rank him in the five worst starting quarterbacks among all NFL QBs. Who do you stands out to you as a guy who I'm not talking about a guy who had to go in there because uh you know Curtis Painter had to because the presumed starter got hurt. Of guys that play, that open the season as their starting quarterback. Who are the guys that uh, are a little overwhelmed by the position, guys who aren't capable of carrying a team? I, I, I mean, I, can't, I don't really want to point out any guys. I would say any guy right now that you think who should be better that isn't. Mark Sanchez. Right you know, I think all those guys who should be better and they aren't and they're specific and glaring reasons why they haven't played very well. All right, you're being political. What about Matt Moore? Matt Moore, an interesting decision now in South Bay. I mean, in uh, South Beach, what do you make of how he played with the Dolphins there? Of course, he was your starter just a year ago, and then uh, you you and he had a nice uh, little hookup there in, at the tail end of the previous season. What do you think about Matt Moore going forward as a as starting QB? I, I think he's I think he's progressed. I think a guy who. Uh, who didn't handle and wasn't prepared to be the starter. And I think uh, those life applications, uh, you know, he, he, he learned from them. Um, and, he, you know, obviously moving forward, he's done very well and he's, he's put up great numbers. So, um, and you can see his improvement and his, uh, his advancing. So I would say a guy like that, uh, proof is in the put. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. What, what, are you, what are you looking for from Cam Newton going into next season? What do you want to see him progress on? What do you think he needs to do to get to that Bree- to the, get to that Drew Brees type level? You can't get to Drew Brees level, you know, going into your second year. You know, Drew Brees is, uh, you know, in his what twelfth year, eleventh year. Um, he, he's there for reasons, consistency, and I think uh, you know, over time, I think one of the glaring things that a lot of people don't realize, uh, um, because it doesn't carry over, was there's a guy like. Um, uh, Jason Campbell. You know, Jason Campbell, he was with the Washington Redskins. He had a new offense coordinator every year. When he was in Auburn as a college player, he had a new offense coordinator or a new coach every year. So, just like Cam, he hasn't had any stability in his career, whether it be college or pro, uh, except this year, where he stayed any place longer than a year and a half, two years max. College in Florida, uh, then in um, uh 
Blaine, and then now with the Panthers. I mean, with Auburn, now with the Panthers. This would be the first place football-wise that he stayed anywhere longer than a year, um, whether it be successful or not successful. You know, that that's one of the things, the habits uh, that he gets the opportunity to break that uh, it's going to be new for him. All right, let's transition now into back into what you touched on at the top there. Doesn't make me happy to talk about Tim Tebow and what happened in Mile High. But you mentioned when we talked a couple weeks ago, you said Ike Taylor, that's secondary. You said Ike Taylor's not a shutdown corner. He certainly was not against Demarius Thomas. Go ahead, gloat. I'm not going to gloat. You said he was a shutdown. I said I disagree. You said you disagree. Hey, I'm a guy about facts. A lot of guys – you know, go off emotions. I'm a guy about facts, and the facts show he's not shut down corner there in cover two. They went zero coverage, which is understandable. I, I don't question the coaches. They went zero coverage, and then what happened? I take uh, I take this lockdown one on one. He gives up inside. Uh, shut down corners it usually be hard inside, but he's not a shut down corner. He's a cover two corner, so he's staying outside like he generally does in cover two. Funnel it to the safety. There is no safety blitz. Got out, ran, uh, stiff-armed out muscle, into the game. Talk about it later. It was no good, Steve Smith. I don't want to talk about it, but I feel like I must. Was it the absence of, yes, you say that uh, Dick LeBeau and, and the coach. It, they were blitzing. It doesn't matter who was or who wasn't. Uh, Ryan Clark would have been blitzing uh, as well. I know Ryan, great guy, monster hitter in a run game, um, you know, uh, Troy Palomalo, he's a read guy. They let him freelance. He have been blitzing too. Uh, most people would have believed they would have been running the ball. The last play where they tried, Tebow mm-hmm. tried to throw the uh, dig six, and it was about three yards underthrown. So they they broke a tendency, and it paid off. That's the name of the game. Playoffs about breaking tendency and putting all the chips in and going for it. Steelers put all their chips in. They would have tipped it, picked, and ran it down like the guy from uh, Houston. It wouldn't have been talked about. It would have been a great play. But pre- uh, zero coverage and you lined up outside, that's that. That's that. Well, but is he... to happen. That's like uh, mopping the floor and not putting a wet floor sign down. Somebody <laughs> slips, you get sued into the into your company. So what is a, so so? I mean, my assumption is this. I and, and correct me where, where if I'm wrong about this because you're breaking it down here. My assumption is is that Dick LeBeau. And the defensive coaches say, we will gamble that Tim Tebow is not going to be able to beat us now. And Ike Taylor's our shutdown guy. He'll be able to handle Demarius Thomas. And they were wrong about Ike Taylor, or they were wrong that the the Broncos were going to run the ball on first down in that situation? How about all of above? I see. Tim Tebow didn't throw it to himself. He had to throw it to somebody. And Demarius caught it, had a great run after the catch. Mm -hmm. Dick LeBeau called a play. And got bit, you know. Mm-hmm. That that's what happened, you know. Tim Tim Tebow time or Tim did this. The quarterback gets all the glory when we win, and then the people spread the wealth when we lose. So he threw it to a, he threw it to a wide receiver that won and finished it. Great throw, great great catch, great finish. That's the fact. Ah, Steve Smith. Well, I want to talk to you some more about how the dance lessons are going, and I want to get your thoughts on the BCS title. All right, you know what? We'll do it next time. We'll get your thoughts as uh, these playoffs unfold. I know you got to run. Thanks, as always, for the time, Steve Smith. Okay. Appreciate it. Ah, Steve Smith. Ah, man, I really wanted to hear what he thought about the uh, about the BCS game. Oh, man. What did you think? Did you watch it? 
Because if you if you follow me on Twitter at Adam Rank, I was one I of the you one of the guys out there. I I was uh, boycott the BCS, had it out there. The ratings terrible, as you would imagine. Probably the low, actually the the lowest overnight TV rating in the game's fourteen year history. Well, I hope that uh, I hope that college football learned a lesson from that. That that is when when you go all in on one college region football, like that. I don't know. College football won't learn its lesson. ESPN, because they're the ones who have the game. They're the ones ultimately that are going to put the pressure on it. Like, look, we can't have this. We can't have two teams from the same conference. Ultimately, it's going to be on ES, ESPN and the TV networks to say, you know what. You're really you're you're losing us money with this nonsense. Let's get this right. Well, and I wrote this as a matter of fact. I think it was for ESPN uh, uh, a few years ago that if uh, I said I, I think it was about Urban Meyer, I made this reference when there was another contentious national crown hand, handed out and they gave the crystal ball up on the stage. A real man does what Nick Sa- is is. This is what Nick Saban does if he's a man. And he likes to carry himself like a tough guy and everything. But when they handed him that crystal ball, he just held it up and woo, number one. We we're one. I I, I wrote on Twitter yesterday, uh, you know that that should have been Bama's chant. We're one and one. We're one and one. That's what it should have been. They're what are they? They split the season series with the LSU. I mean, that's the only thing. But since we already saw in a in what is essentially a one and done tournament which is college football, that's why I love college football, is in theory is that every week is a playoff. If you lose, then you lose control of your destiny. Bama lost at home. Ergo, they don't get to play another. They don't get a redo. You don't get a mulligan in college football, or at least theoretically I didn't think you did. But, of course, we've seen this. Oh, no, if Nick Saban's a man. Nick Saban takes that crystal ball. He says thanks. You, he says thanks to uh, whoever handed it to him, and then he smashes it on the stage and says, "I accept nothing until the Oklahoma State uh, Cowboys show up here to play us at a neutral site. Then and only then will I claim a national championship." That's what a man does. See, but you're th- you no. Know, Mike Gundy's the one who's always proven to be a man. He's a man. He's forty. I expected him to come from the crowd, dressed in all black, and grab the mic. A la Razor Ramon. It. And just, awesome. just sit yeah. there and be like, hey, you want a war? Gundy should have had, Gundy Gundy had, the whole, uh, had the whole team there. He should have had He's them right. He's crazy. They get T-Bone Pickens money. Why didn't they fly him out? Just have him stand, wait outside. Just, just say, hey, you come know out what? on the field and say, hey, rest up. Rest up. Take a break. Take those a blow. Field goals, those field goals wouldn't have matched up against Oklahoma State. And and the people who are so you know the the Stockholm syndrome of well, that everybody suffers from they're like well the SEC uh, you know do you think Oklahoma State they would have gotten pounded by that team I don't know so that's who? all that's all know. you know you know and I say about the plane crash you know they found out the morning of that uh, other people in their athletic department died in a plane crash that had to be in Oklahoma State's head the day that they the night that they lost to Iowa State and people how could say it not how well you don't know what would have happened if if that hadn't happened no you're right that's completely speculative I'll tell you what isn't speculative that Alabama lost at home to that team they don't get to play them again Rubbish. at home rubbish can we get back to football look it is football look who's joe i mean col- i mean pro football okay. but with that has a proper uh, postseason tournament look who's coming through the door now steve smith one legend another legend at least around uh, nfl network here in culver city california it's our pal the guy who does all the stats for us here uh it's uh, an an arch nemesis of mine because he's a <laughs> philadelphia flyers fan I, I an avid flyers fan at that it's sudsy bill sadell what's going down sudsy Hey, guys. Good to be here. Yeah. You sound oh, yeah. thrilled you to sound be here, thrilled. Sudsy. 
Yeah. I, you know, we just said goodbye to Steve Smith. He's a five-time Pro Bowler. He seems more excited and enthused about a joining us than you. regular contributor. That's right. It's your problem, Sudsy. By the way, if you haven't heard Steve Smith in the past, I, I, I'm remiss for not having pointed this out earlier. That was now, what, his fourth appearance black tie on the program? That was his fourth time with us. He's a delight, this Steve Smith. He answers almost. He didn't answer the question about who's the worst quarterback in the NFL, though. That one was. Uh, I I'll, think he did by not answering it. I well, yeah, I said Mark Sanchez. He because didn't if say he, no, no to that. because if he would have said, if he would have felt that Mark Sanchez wasn't the worst quarterback in the league, he would have been like, no, 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 you guys, that's he's, he's better. I liked his little ranking there. Josh Freeman fourth, fourth. in the NFC South. That's I, harsh. I don't know. I might go Matt Ryan. That's pretty tough, though. But uh, anyway, so Sudsy, you're a Philadelphia Flyers fan. You also have some stats in hand, and we'll get to those in just a minute here to talk about uh, the divisional round coming up here. Quickly, we talked about Matt Ryan. I really do think that the sample size is large enough now. And again, we're not talking about a guy who, who hasn't had weapons. His entire time in Atlanta has been marked by the fact that he has Roddy White, he has Tony Gonzalez, nice running game, and so on. And the defense isn't isn't uh, a dominant one. That uh, that's obvious. But I think Matt Ryan is another legitimate question now. Is he is he the court? I mean, what are they going to do? They're not going to dump him or anything uh, like that. But I do have uh, legitimate doubts about Matt Ryan's ability to win. The team everybody's talking about though is the Giants, and it is an easy comparison to make. I understand why so many people are getting swept up in this. I don't happen to think that these Giants are going to do what they did to the Patriots and do to the NFC on their way to the Super Bowl four years or so ago. What was that, four years ago, I guess is what it was? 2007. I don't think they're going into to Lambeau and knocking them off. I get why people think it's possible. I just think Aaron Rodgers, as I've been saying, I've not been shaken. Just because they had uh, the, the one loss and they struggled to beat the Giants the first time. I don't think the only thing that really sort of is worrisome, not that I'm rooting for the Packers, but the, if I were a Packers guy, the thing that would concern me is what the Giants have been doing on the ground lately. That mm-hmm. that would worry me that they're just going to be able to spin the clock. I think also the other thing that is legitimate now that you have Human uh, Yora back is that with that four-man front, those guys are dominant. And, and if they can drop all the other defenders back in pass coverage, then that, that gives them a lot more flexibility than most teams. But again, the difference is Aaron Rodgers can run away from the pressure, and Tom Brady couldn't, Drew Brees can't. I think that that's the difference. Aaron Rodgers, if he's forced into it, can make plays with his legs. That's Extending why, the plays. Yes, yes, I believe that the Packers are going to be able to do that, and they will survive this game. But I get the. Would you the, make too much of it though? Because when was the last time he threw a pass in a competitive game? Go back to Week 16 because he took off Week 17. They had a bye week, so you have those two weeks. That seems like a long layoff because if you looked at some of the teams this year coming off of bye weeks, teams look sluggish and everything. That's a long time to go without playing, and just to go in and expect the Packers to go up and pick up like nothing happened against a great team against a great front four. I don't. I don't know. Well, I, and also it also is you know Roethlisberger as as a guy who always is the unorthodox QB, sort of the paradigm of what uh, what that looks like. He's not somebody Aaron Rodgers who moves around back there and improvises and everything. He gets the ball, makes a decision, 
and fires it, you would assume that that sort of rhythm requires that uh, you you stay on it and you maintain that sort of thing. So I do w- worry a little bit, you know, those back shoulder throws and everything else. They're all about the timing and everything. So I wonder if there will be some sort of drop off there. But even if they, even if they have to scratch it out, I think they're going to survive and and uh, and get to the title game. The game that's more interesting to me is the Saints and the 49ers. Sudsy, talk about that game. What numbers do you have? What, what Which way should we lean here? Because it is the classic matchup, as they say, of the unstoppable force. I don't even remember the thing. What is it? Unstoppable force, it immovable moves, object. Immovable object, right, yes. yes. <clears throat> yeah, this game is definitely the most intriguing. Sort of um, like when, when the high-flying penguins, when they're at full force, go into your deadbeat scumbag Please. flyers who only try to stop them by taking cheap shots. Please. It's sort of the same thing, Penguins but not are really. so irrelevant. Uh, this game, um, the Saints are just on fire, obviously. 626 yards last week, most in postseason history. 40, he almost had 500 yards passing. 42 or more points in four straight games. And then, of course, the Niners' uh, defense. But the most interesting stat maybe of the week is the Saints have scored in 62 of 68 quarters this year which is pretty mind-boggling. That's awesome. By the way, let me say this, too. Everybody is heaping praise and deservedly on, on Drew Brees. But what did I, we talk about last week, Rank? I told you Pierre Thomas was going to be a big difference in that game. Absolutely. And he was. He was huge in that game, I thought, against the Lions. Now, the Lions' defense is uh, is pretty bad, but that was significant. That stood out to me. And the other thing is, every time you watch the Saints play this year, the thing that jumps out is Jimmy Graham is unstoppable. He's uncoverable, literally. You cannot do anything about him unless you could get Calvin Johnson to be a cornerback. There's so no one who can match up with him. Yeah, it got so bad the Lions said, you know what, we're not even going to bother to cover. And that one play on his touchdown where nobody was out <laughs> wide. Like, this is the guy you're not going to cover. But the thing that scares me about this game, and I know, you know, you look at the statistics, the Saints have been impressive. First of all, if I'm Jim Harbaugh, every day I'm showing up to Candlestick Park with the host, mm-hmm. and I'm watering down the field, doing whatever. I hope the grass hasn't been mowed in a month. That's right. Whatever. I you like know, that. The home field, get that, you know, get a real, like, nice little swampy type thing. And also, you know, the Saints just don't play well on the road. And if you look at the game, there were two instances, two early uh, turnovers in the first half where the Lions came out and they went three and out each time after the fumble and after the interception. They went three and out. The Lions score on those drives or at least get field goals or at least keep the Saints off the field for a while, then that game is a lot different. And then you go back to the bad call, too. If that would have been ruled a fumble, if the referee hadn't blown his whistle, the Lions would have scored on that. The momentum changes. I think you can get to the Saints that way. I think the 49ers, the defense is going to be a lot stronger. It just seems that people are just dismissing them already. But they're, they're, their defense is that good. They gave up only one rushing touchdown this year, and that only came because there was a blocked field goal, or excuse me, a blocked punt, and then the Seahawks scored. Well, that's what makes it rough, is that Pierre Thomas or Chris Ivory or anybody else, or Darren Sproles, Probably isn't going to be able to run on that, but if, but it's important that they do because if the if the Niners can just unleash the Hounds with Bowman and Smith and and uh, Alden Smith, if they can just unleash the Hounds every play and Patrick Willis to boot, if, assuming he's in good health, um, then then you know Drew Brees is going to be in trouble if if those guys are are uh, coming down on him all day. So it is important that somebody uh, run the ball. On the other side, I think the Saints are very confident. This Jonathan Vilma thing. We haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher in in uh in 8 games now. 
I think Frank Gore, I mean, it's obviously the, the Niners can't win if they don't run the ball a little bit. But like I said last week, I think Alex Smith has developed confidence now. He's had some big wins. He's made some big throws against some good defenses coming down the stretch. And I think that he has some confidence, too. And I think that he, I, unless, again, unless he falls on his face, but I don't think he's going to. I, don't, I think Harbaugh knows how to get in his ear and tell him the right things and, and give him confidence. And that's what it comes down to for me. I think the Saints are going to eke it out. But I think I think that uh, with the playmakers that the uh, 49ers have in passing, I'm not talking about. I think Frank Gore can run the ball on them too. But I also think let, let's not talk about uh, let's not uh, make like the cupboard is bare in the passing game. People have all sorts of questions about Alex Smith, but listen, Crabtree and Vernon Davis are going to be able to make plays, and I think uh, that it's going to be. An, I, I the the question is. Do the Niners what, – what's the number that the Saints have to get to so that they're out of reach? And and so do you think the Saints can score 24 points in this game? Well, and that, I think they will. That's what I think the number is. I, I, think the, I think the Niners can score. I just don't know that they can score mid-20s. See, I look back to the Patriots, and we talked about this earlier in the show. When you look at the Patriots, those high-flying offenses, how great they were, and I'll go back to the Super Bowl where they lost to the Giants, where Tom Brady scoffed, hey, I think our team's better – then this, you know, we'll, we'll score more than 14 points. They did it. And then you looked at how they lost to the Ravens that, uh, two years ago, how they lost to the Jets last year, and that in the playoffs, the games are so much different, there's more at stake, and the good defenses really shine. And you can slow down these high-powered offenses. That's why I wouldn't assume that the, the Packers are going to score a lot of points. That's why I wouldn't assume that the Saints are going to score a lot of points. It's going to be a lot closer than people think. And to be honest, it doesn't surprise me if San Francisco's hosting the Giants in two weeks in the NFC Championship game. What's interesting about the Niners, to me at least, is that they're the fewest giveaways in the NFL offensively, only 10 all season. Yet they lead the league in takeaways in 38. So that could definitely... And Breeze, and look, like I say, Breeze uh, tried to turn the ball over at least two or three times, and the, the Lions were... Uh, you know, re- rejected the gift, but mm-hmm. uh, the, but based on that, the Niners aren't likely to do the same thing. I don't know, Rank. Though I'm conflicted. I say the Texans are going to beat the Ravens, but that has more to do with the fact that I'm not overwhelmed by the quality of the Ravens' offense. Not so much the Texans' defense. This year is it has nothing to do with defense. The Packers, the Saints, and the Patriots are probably the three best teams in the league. None of them are good. They're not mediocre at defense. They're subpar at defense, all three of those teams. I think it has more to do with just being able to lay it on a team and see if a team can keep up with you. The Brady analogy is a good one. And then the other one is, uh, you know, Kurt Warner's high-flying Rams going up against the defense-dominant Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the turn of the century. But the difference is, even versus four years ago, all those teams do is throw the ball. That's all they do. They just shoot it out. And and I think the the Niners will slow the Saints down, but not. An, I just don't think they're ultimately going to be able to keep up. I do not dismiss the Niners' chances entirely. Like it seems like I agree with you. A lot of people are doing, but I just think that those three teams are just going to be able to plumb out score everybody. That's it. I think that, that I think those. And and by the way, as an objective fan, if you take all rooting interests out of it. At this point, with the way the with, with the way the season's gone and five thousand yard passers and records being shattered and everything else, so be it. Let's just get Saints and Packers in the NFC title game. Whoever survives that uh, shootout, let's see the Patriots do it, and at least it'll be entertaining to watch, right? That's what you think, but it it doesn't be better than watching LSU in uh, Alabama scratch it out back and forth for sixty minutes. Throw up some points, but that's the thing: is you go back 
and I'm going to use the 2007 Patriots as an example again. High-flying, running up the scores on all these teams. Great. Even go back to 99 with the greatest show on turf with the St. Louis FC. They won their title game. What was it, 13-9? It's the playoffs. I know that these teams come out. It's just a different game is my point. You know, you say that. I think the Packers winning it last year gives you that that notion that you can win without a defense. But I'm going to use the entire history of the NFL where it, it still comes down to defense. You still have to play great defense. The Packers got away with it for one year. No, nah, that defense was it. good, though. But that defense was actually good for the Packers last year. Decent. But I don't think that you can do it two consecutive years, expect it to happen again. The teams that play the best defense are going to win. Well, and by the way, to that point, the Packers statistically weren't a great defense this year, but they did uh, get a lot of takeaways. And the thing that at this point, I'm sort of sort of an NBA type philosophy that I'm I'm bringing to it but it is really the on defense they have playmakers at least the Packers Clay Matthews can make some plays for you Charles Woodson and so on I mean I, those those guys stand out that's why the Patriots can't hang with a team that's why they're bad is because on that even if they do have a few capable defenders they don't have anybody that's going to turn the game around with a play the Packers do and that's why they'll survive against the uh, yeah, but look, like the look what the Chiefs did to them though like a team that you wouldn't go out and say, hey, this is you know a great defense by any stretch. A footnote in history. We're, we're able. No, but that's the blueprint. That's You only need one game like that in the playoffs. And if the Giants get enough pressure, you've talked about this enough, when they can get out that pressure with the front four, that's enough. Well, I mean, listen. And the Giants, you know, and you look at the Giants' offense. You want to look at an offense that can actually match the Packers, great playmakers, Eli, they can run the ball. Well, Brad not match. They can be superior on the ground. Listen, I, I just I believe in that Packers machine on offense so much that I think that it will outscore any failures. But yeah, listen, this is, I I understand why people are making the comparison, especially like I say, because of what the Giants have been doing on the ground lately. Well, you know what's amazing is the two number one seeds in the playoffs, the Packers and the Patriots, are the two worst defenses. In terms I know. of yardage. That's that's historically the two number uh, one unique, seeds, the right? two worst defenses. The four worst pass defenses are all still alive. The Packers, the Patriots, the Saints, and the Giants are the four Amazing. worst pass defenses. Amazing. Listen, that proves my point. Now, what about the game that we have coming up, the Broncos going to the Patriots? It's in it's of course interesting, you know, because uh, Tebow appeared to turn into a passer. I think that Bill Belichick and company are going to break down the tape and say LeBeau, like we are talking about, went all in. Tim Tebow's not going to beat us, and then he did beat them again and again and again. But I don't think Belichick's going to let that happen, and I think that they'll be disciplined enough at least to not let Tim Tebow run the option on him, like James Harrison did. I think that that's you think not going to make be- an adjustment, maybe. <laughs> I think they might. And the one thing that, uh, you know, the one thing that maybe that gives the Broncos a fighter's chance is that pass rush. You know, as we say all the time, Tom Brady is very human when you get heat on him. And Von Miller and Doomerville and the rest uh, had little moments of success against the Steelers. If they can do that again, then, then maybe, maybe, maybe. But come on, it's a, it's a double-digit victory for the Patriots. Any reason to think otherwise? Yes, because I saw what Tim Tebow did last week. And I know better. No, I'm not going to get caught up into this again. I'm not going to sit there and dismiss him, whatever. It's the NFL. It's so many things can happen. They I have could, one they, receiver, they though. Have, the other it, thing is they have enough. one receiver. That's enough. Demarius what, Thomas is officially the, Steelers, the one. But the Steelers yeah. have a better defense. I know. Better playmakers but and everything. I don't know if the stereotype 
Sudsy, I don't know if you have any numbers to disprove that, but the rhetoric goes like this. Bill Belichick, defensively, defensive genius, which I think is, I think that's loco at this point. The sample size is large enough to say for eight or nine years now, his defense has been mediocre. It's not been a dominant defense. But anyway, uh, the thing about Belichick that they always say is he understands how to take away one thing from an offense. He understands he can isolate the thing that another team does well and take it away from them. If you take away Demarius Thomas, what what possibly are they going to do? What are they? They're, they're, Eric Decker gonna, is done. But, but Eric Decker can't away? catch passes. What are they going to put Julian Edelman on on Thomas? Is that how do they how do they take him away? I don't players? have the answer to that. The Steelers have better personnel. They have Dick LeBeau. They couldn't figure out a way, even at halftime or anything, how to slow him down. What are the Patriots going to do? You even answered the you answered it yourself. You said Bill Belichick is overrated as this yeah, defensive guy, but you're confident he'll take him away. I'm not confident that he will. Well, and here's the other thing. I'm playing devil's advocate to myself. The other thing is that we point to is, well, look at what uh, Brady and uh, and the Patriots did when they went to Mile High City. But last no Ergo, last year last right. year they crushed that the was, Jets. I was just gonna say we have a season. we have a very recent example of that when they went uh, when they killed the Jets and you thought well this game's not gonna be within three touchdowns and the Jets beat them. I, I just I, I you know I just can't imagine. Call me uh, lacking in faith. It's been four years since the Patriots won a playoff game. I mean maybe now that Josh McDaniels is back, <laughs> maybe that's something different. You know, maybe he goes back, you know, and that's another thing. If I'm if I'm the Broncos, I insist that I get the chance to look into Josh McDaniels' bags to make sure he's not carrying any cameras or anything because that's the key. What do we make about this, too? Josh McDaniels, that seems bogus. It seems par for the course, too, for Belichick and the way they operate there. I know it's not against the rules, but it seems to be against the spirit of the sport to take a guy who was just on a coaching staff for another team and you just bring him over in the middle of the season. I'm not middle of the season, but before a playoff game, it just seems wrong to be able to do that. I don't get it. Can the Panthers You can't legally say. I mean, there's no rule. Uh, Commissioner Goodell can't stop it from happening based on anything. Well, don't you have to have a playoff roster start? Like, isn't it set? Like, you have to have your playoff roster. I know in baseball they have your, you know, if right. the guy's not on the team by September 1st, he can't play in the post. Could the could the Panthers cut Steve Smith and then have him sign with the Broncos today? Is that allowed? It's a good question. I'm not sure what the answer is when it comes to the coaches, whether or not you're allowed to do that. But, yeah, it's it, it seems wrong to me. And you would think, I, mean, I guess, uh, I, apparently the Patriots don't care about the, how they're perceived. Although we know that yeah, they do. Wait. We know that they do care deeply how they're perceived, and yet it doesn't get in the way of them making a decision like this. Now, I think the Texans are going to win. That's my big upset there. I think that the Saints are going to survive. I think the Packers are going to survive. And I think that the uh, – did I just get them all? I think I just did. No, wait, I skipped the game. Well, you skipped no, I said, you Patriots. Patriots. Are gonna are gonna win big. They're gonna be they're gonna be your double digit winner. Saints and Packers survive for a wonderful. Come on, football gods, don't deprive us. That's the game we need to see. Yes, the 49ers, if they beat the Saints at home, all right, 49ers and Packers has a has a ring to it based on their history together and the, their their respective standing in, in NFL lore. But for 2012, I mean, for what we've seen the last six months, this would be a game. The way the season started to end the NFC this way in the same spot, that's wonderful. That's symmetry. That's what America wants to see. Let's make it so, football gods, and you too, referees. And then on the other side of things, 
Patriots-Ravens, I guess, would be the best game, right? That's the most compelling game. And if the Ravens get that, if that happens, I think the Ravens have a real chance of going in there and beating them. But for that matter, if the the Texans win the way that uh, I forecast they're going to beat the Ravens, why can't they go and do the same thing? To uh, to the Patriots, they could go in there and just grind them all day on the ground, and I don't think the Patriots would be able to stop them from doing that. And plus, when you have a big hitter like Andre Johnson, you need one play out of him to to really put the secondary and the and the pass rush on its heels a little bit. I think I go the opposite way of you in all four games. Is that right? I think so. Wow. My because when uh when the playoffs started, you know, I threw out there, you know, everybody get in their playoff predictions and everything, and I just felt that we were going to get a terrible Super Bowl like Giants Ravens. Was just my gut feel. Well, wow. I see. It was I so see. great the first time around. Let's do it again. Yeah, do it again. Um, all right. Well, so we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. Thanks to Steve Smith for joining us. Thanks to Sudsy Bill Sedell. Did you enjoy yourself on the air? I did. I have I have two good ones to go out on. Two, oh, go two ahead. Good oh, nuggets. listen. Oh. Go ahead. Well, I can't wait to hear. No, go ahead. Listen, please. The, share. the four te- the four home teams this weekend won a combined thirty and two in their backyards this year. Mm. Thirty and two. Tom Brady, the only team he has a losing record against in his career, the Denver Broncos. Mm. Two and six, including playoffs. Two and six. Two and six career. Career. Wow. Well, the last, I mean, I remember their playoff game, of course, when Champ Bailey picked Brady off at the one and ran it all the way back, and Ben Watson chased him down and really stripped him of the ball, and that should have been, that should have gone the other way. Yeah. And, but instead, the the, the Broncos won. Did they review that one? I think they did review that. Oh, and they just didn't have the right camera angle, right? Exactly my point. Exactly my point. No, my Enough point was that Mike Renfro, if they had replayed the 79 AFC title game, they would have looked at it and said, there's nothing conclusive. We can't reverse it. The camera angle doesn't uh, do- doesn't debunk the-, the call on the field that it was out of bounds. Fan double fat. And you know what? I got one thing more for you. Ah! God, you did it to yourself, Frank. You did it to yourself. I'm in a salty mood. I'm in a bad mood. I don't. Uh, people are taking my voice from me, trying to silence me. I won't be silenced, and I'll be back for more. And you know what, Rank? I hope you will be, too, and I hope you will, too, Black Tie, because I want to do another show this week. I feel like we did. A, I think we did a lot of talking, but I think there's still more meat on this bone, and I want to kibitz some more. Maybe we'll take some calls from the Czech Republic. And the Rank Amateurs? No. Nah. Just the check with All right, we'll figure that all out uh, later on. But in the meantime, thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.